in a world where the modern bourgeois society that sprouted from the ruins of feudal society has not done away with class antagonisms, but instead established new classes, new conditions of oppression, and new forms of struggle in place of the old ones. One woman and one bear established a new podcast to do away with capitalism and your heart. It's Knackers and the Vag. Good morrow, sassy comrade. It's the Vag. I am accompanied, of course, by this small chap. Sadly, you can't see him. He's called Knackers. He's a commodity. He's also a stuffed toy. Why Knackers and the Vag, you ask? Or you probably don't. Here I am with the pretense that you give a fuck and that you didn't actually mean to click on that sassy you go girl how to get ahead in business bullshit. How you get ahead in business, ladies? Let me tell you two things. Suck cock and keep your weight down. That's how you get ahead in business, all right? Honestly, it is. Like being fucking all, oh, I'm sorry, I've sworn already, you know, kind of like down with the corporate sickness and saying, I really feel I'm worth more and leaning in. I'm sure it works for Sheryl Sandberg and a handful of elites. But for the rest of us, you know, smile and suck cock and also keep your weight down. I do not recommend this behaviour. I recommend, you know, seizing all the machinery of state. A few years of command capitalism, uh, a.k.a. socialist transition, and then we move into full communism. It's easy. Let me show you how here on Knackers, 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 and the Vag, 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 if you are at all curious about why it's called that, she is about to reveal. Once upon a time, I had a job. Needless to impart, I was kicked out. My replacement, after some years, was a chap who was so talented I couldn't even hate him. (laughs) It was really annoying. You know, every year after I got, well, I didn't get kicked off, I more got chased off the Triple J Breakfast program. It was like, oh, this shit, oh, their ratings are going down. Yeah, fucking good. They'll never hit my Sydney numbers. I used to be someone. You used to be big. I'm still big. The radio got small. But it got bigger with little Mr. Fucking Millennial here. (laughs) Mr. Master MX Comrade Tom Ballard. Hello, Veg. Hi, Knackers. You are my Knackers. It's just like obviously it's a bit of an FM breakfast radio gag. So I'm Knackers or the or the bear is Knackers? No, no, the bear is Knackers. Fucking hell. This is too complicated for FM radio. You can't be advocating full communism and having a high, high, high concept sort of premise for the whole piece. You'll confuse people as no, they drive to work. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, well, it is high concept. High concept doesn't actually mean complex. It just means a very simple question. What if a lady and a bear got together and did a podcast about communism? <laughs> That's the high concept. I just call it knackers in the vag because it sounds like shit FM breakfast radio, which is what you and I used to do. It, although you weren't shit. And honestly, neither was I. You weren't shit either, Helen. I we mean, were both w- very clever and I funny. You weren't even born when I was on the radio. No, I've How no old memory. are you, puss? 
I'm 28. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Adorable. That's ad- I mean, you know, I do, you, you know, I mean, I've told you before and it's made you uncomfortable that I do feel, I mean, despite my waning levels of estrogen, I do, I do feel um, like that kind of like lactation pull whenever I see you. It's yeah. like, I love my gay son. <laughs> I'm so. Well, it is an honour to suckle at your intellectual teat, mother. Yeah. But look, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I'm sure I have. But I mean, for many years, um, after radio, I always sourced the ratings breakdowns, which is pathetic, I know. That is. Fortunately, got over it. But I would always look at your numbers and I'd go, huh. I mean, first of all, I heard this. But what were you, 18, 19, when you started doing the Triple J? Uh, we, I would have been 20 the year we started the weekday yeah, breakfast. I mean, you were a baby. Yes. I mean, I was. Okay, so that offended me because I was 22. Yes. It was like fucking little cock beat me by two years. And then you I know s- how I got that job. I lost weight and I suck cock. Well, you know, see? Yeah. And so I heard for the first time in years they got somebody quite young to speak to young people and that was like, well, that makes sense and I'm going to listen. And I did and you were good. And whoever that other guy was with you, he was also good. Alex Dyson, the lovely Alex, Alex Dyson. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, and it was good and he was happy to be this straight man and but also quite funny and it was just good and it was weird. And your numbers built. And, you know, I mean, it's like just because you do something good doesn't mean people are going to enjoy it or consume it. Mm-hmm. That's not always a measure. But it was, I don't know, it was, it was good. You did a fucking good job. Thank you, Helen. That and means I, a lot to me. And I got... Well, I don't know. I mean, you were really, both of you clearly making an effort to engage. And even though you were both clearly going to be kind of like media or, or comedy professionals, it was like, okay, these are two people with a sense of civil service. It's like they're actually trying to address what was at the time a fast-changing demographic. I mean, you are of a generation where in Australia where what is it like a third of you are born overseas right of the millennials yeah gosh and so and you know there's this there's this sort of change i mean two white boys of course but um two white skips um and but i i really sort of heard you making an effort to engage in a language other than your own. And, and you know, sorry, I'm just being really sucky. Um, so, you know, for <laughs> you, I, I want to um, you, you just uh, will forward promote, right? Uh, yes. As we used to do in radio. Coming up, yep. the evolution of Tom Ballard's intellectual framework. After uh, this Powderfinger song, this is These Days. Yeah, right. All killer. No filler here on the jaws, jaws, jaws. <laughs> I mean, I really hated doing some of that stuff, though. I have to say, like you were saying before, like if it's too complex, you're discouraged from doing it. It's not like Triple J is this free and easy place where you, because it's mass media, of course, yeah. but you're not just permitted to say. Uh, to declare things as you see them, are you? Mm. Yeah, there was. I mean, you know, we we were babies. We didn't know anything about radio. We didn't really know who we were and stuff. We, we you know, I uh, think that's what I liked, though. Well, well, that's nice. I mean, yeah, as long as yeah, as we came across as like natural, and I really wanted to make sure we didn't sound like every other fucking FM breakfast radio show out there or, or radio show out there. But even even from where we were to the kind of radio that you would have been making. Um, you know, either with Judith or with 
with Mikey. You know, that just seems it might it must have been so weird and and different. And um, probably not because I was like not so much older than you at all uh, when I started, and I had that kind of like you, you know the chutzpah of youth. You're quite you know sort of hubristic by default because you're young and you I know have loving parents. I have parents who've loved me occasionally but for long enough that I love myself sick. Mm. Um, And so if you have that in your life, if you have that sense of stability, I mean you get to 19, 20 and you're just like fucking great and there's no reason at all that others wouldn't adore me and so you do your thing Mm. and that's what you did. You don't see any reason that people would find you repellent because you actually quite like yourself. And that was the position we were in too and I was, I don't know, did you know Alex before you did the show? Yeah, yeah, we were like childhood friends. Yeah, oh, my fucking back. God, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, Mikey and I were friends um, for like maybe a year or two before but we were still, you know, we had this close adult friendship which we retain and it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, my God, when yeah. you're actually – when you have that intimacy with somebody and you're not like paired up like knackers, knackers, knackers and the vag, vag, vag or, totally. you know, Fitzy and the Spoon or, you know, whoever. Yeah. To actually spend time with somebody with whom you are intimate is an entirely different experience and you can hear it. Yeah, people want to hear a, fr- a real friendship as opposed to whacking people. And I don't know how many times commercial radio has to learn that lesson with like, Hamish and Andy, or you know, the 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 the, the group. Oh, I mean, that those guys are actually mates. Right? They're mates, yeah. You and they're fucking look. I mean, it's not my favorite kind of thing in the world, but they are two funny fuckers piss farting around. And totally. There, there were worse ways to spend my time than listening to them. Absolutely. Like yeah. you know, you know, Nifty and the Poo Poo, or whatever. Like just <laughs> two people who don't know each other that they throw together because their demographics say. They need two men or a man and a woman or 15 men and one chick who giggles or whatever. Insane, yeah. Like actually you can't research your way into that kind of stuff. I mean work has changed a lot over the last 40 years in the West but still a lot of people get up and go to work. You know, large numbers of people go to work. Mm. Their work starts at nine and large numbers of people have nothing but radios in their car Mm. and so, you know, they listen. And this is what occurred to you, I'm I'm sure, you know, people were genuinely waking up with you and you can't research that, I don't think. I mean, people are just so fucking vulnerable in the morning. (laughs) Like I am. Are you a good waker or not? Uh, I'm better now, yeah. I wasn't when I was doing breakfast radio. Oh, yeah, but I mean like generally speaking, do you – wake up and do you have a spring in your step or do you take like an hour or two to kind of like be fit for human consumption? I'm usually all right in the morning. Yeah, yeah I'm shit. But I have no, I'm not, I'm waking up at 10 and I'm not working until night where I'm going to do my yeah, stupid yeah. stand-up comedy job. I mean, people used to feel sorry for us because we had to get up early for breakfast radio. It's like, I'm going to a show that I get paid very well for yeah. that I love. Yeah. Imagine going to a job that you fucking hate. Which most people do. Yes. 85%. I was, I was going to talk about this. Gallup poll last year found 85% of people their job. Well, I mean, I would say that that's um, the, the remaining 15% were lying. <laughs> or bosses, yeah. What <laughs> What is there to like about work? Yeah. You could be, you could have a stroke of extraordinary good fortune and be doing exactly as you wish 
you could have studied all your life to um, be a, a laboratory scientist um, and you could be very comfortable with honouring the old and venerable practice of methodical doubt. You could be looking at little sources of milk to learn something about, I don't know, diabetes or, or whatever. You could have found a form of labour that you adore. And at various times, Tom and I have been lucky enough, but we are in no way fucking representative. Like, I mean, I have been lucky enough in my life to have had a few jobs that I skipped to and every day I would think, how the fuck am I paid for this? Mm. Um, and that happens. And, I mean, even still, like I'm on a pretty low income but it's like people pay me to write like fucking miffy Marxist opinion. This is how have I sustained this? Mm. Actually not so well. Do visit my Patreon. Um <laughs> And but you, you know the overwhelming majority of people. Why would you not hate your work? And it's just like, um, particularly like uh, the the whole kind of like false um feminist history is that women wanted to work. Mm -hmm. Like women in the nineteen seventies could not fucking wait mm -hmm. to labour in a shit job. Yeah, talk to my mum, or like talk to any woman in your family who was working circa 1970, they will tell you that they were forced to work, the overwhelming majority of them. And it's all very nice that we have a few sassy ladies doing brilliant things and, like, negotiating. But the rest of us are, like, you know, sucking cock, losing weight, doing shit and not getting paid well. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, this is one of the other things that I liked about the first time I heard you and Alex, of course I remember his name was Alex, it was like, I mean, you're country guys, right, country boys, mm -hmm. which is itself a peculiar experience in Australia. Oh, come on, it is. I mean, we're a highly urbanised nation. Like you grew oh, up. Oh, just being from the country, yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. but you, you know country, mm. right? So you presumably, do you have that kind of feeling of connection to where you were raised or not? Um, I felt look growing up in Warnable in country, but in the country, and you know, it's it's a town of thirty thousand people. It's on the coast. You know, my family had nothing to do with farming or anything like that. Oh right, you so just a small town, but yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it was it was like suburb. It was suburbia basically. It, you know, how far just, from Melbourne is it? Three and a half hours away. Yeah, that's not suburbia. But it feels the feeling felt the, felt the same. I guess obviously there are some realities mm. of living that far away that means that that um yes, Yeah, I know no, but um suburbia is more like suburbia is a particular feeling. And so I grew up in um the city of Canberra. Yes. Um and if you don't know, the city of Canberra is peculiar. Um it was founded just in 1913 and it was the result of a dispute that couldn't be otherwise settled. There were two major Australian cities then and they remain Melbourne and Sydney. And there needed to be a capital because we had become a federation, quasi, quasi, quasi independent from the mother country, the British Empire. And so they needed to decide on where the seat of parliament would be. Melbourne and Sydney always hated each other. They've made up since. And so there needed to be this, this other site. So there was this sheep grazing land and this was named in a valley, Canberra. And 
some fucking amazing people won their competition to design it. Uh, there are a couple uh, called the Griffins. And wow, I was recently looking into, actually, sorry, sidebar, their original designs for Canberra, which were very pro-democratic and shit. Did you, there was public transport there. There was like um, a, which Canberra is only just opening public mm. transport. And so anyway, the whole point of this is that the design of Canberra was fucked up, right? And what it is is it's a city without a centre. It's a city without a hub. It's a city that goes around in circles and it's a city of, architecturally, it's a city of denial. And if you if you want to look up, I mean, just search Walter Valley Griffin uh, and remember that his uh, lady wife, one of Frank Lloyd Wright's protégés actually, um, was greatly important in the design of Canberra as well. And so everything, almost everything that they suggested, the fucking creators of Canberra did the opposite because mm. it was like it was like so terrifying, this thought that these two kind of like idealistic Americans had the opportunity to build like a new liberal democracy and the whole idea was like it was real easy to get to parliament and rich people wouldn't live next to poor people and mm. And there was a centre, but there's no centre now. So my point being, God, I go on, fucking shut me up. This is why you actually have oh, knackers. Yes, yes, you knackers, throw the bear at me. Alert. The alert. The adorable bear. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that uh, being in a suburb and having access to a city centre, right. um, that's a particular experience. Yeah. You, know, you just... know that there's this generator of life you can access. And so to just say it's the suburbs is not right. Well, I guess I just I think it's it's it, my experience of growing up in Warrnambool would be closer to people's idea of suburbia than it is to say what we think of growing up in the country. I mm. reckon. Anyway, what's the industry in that town? Excuse my ignorance. It is dairy around the place. It's tourism on the coast. Yeah, yeah. And it's then, pretty. Yeah, it is really pretty. Yeah, Do it's a wonderful place to grow up for eighteen years. But if you're a closeted homosexual guy, who wants to be the greatest actor of his generation, you need to get oh out my of there. God, you wanted to be an actor too. Yes. School plays? Oh, big time. Musicals, yeah. Yeah. And these were? Bugsy Malone, Grease, Danny Zuko, Cat Mahat, Zuzical You were musical. Danny Zuko? Oh, yeah. You should have been Rizzo. That is serious <laughs> miscasting. Bugsy Malone is good. It's fine. Um, if you ever get the chance to see it, I mean, perhaps they'll put it on the Netflix one day or what have you. I've seen the film. Uh, yeah, I was very little when I saw it. Saw it and fucking fell so hard for Jodie Foster. Completely appropriate because I was always a fucking child. Also a child, yes. You know, then you fucking police my sexuality, people. <laughs> um, Don't of, kick shame just because Helen's into Jodie Foster and Bugsy Malone. Yeah, I wasn't like 50 at the time. Gotcha. I was also Jodie Foster was my girlfriend and, again, my girlfriend in Freaky Friday. Um, I've gone right off her since. We're not supposed to be talking about the contents of my id. We're supposed to be talking about Tom. So, Tom. 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 Would you say we're mates or not? Yeah, I hope so. How did we meet? Um, how did we goddamn meet? Here at this table doing your podcast. Is that the first, first time we sort of would have, yeah, really yeah. probably chat? Yes, you very kindly agreed to do my podcast. Um, I've been a fan for a while. Oh, very kindly. Come on. Like you fucking give the old career a bit of a fucking <laughs> kick with your youth fucking brand. Very kindly. Yes. It was my pleasure. And over the course of our friendship, you have um, poisoned my brain 
and slowly well, re- made me realise that I'm um, a bit further to the left than I thought I was and that my well, beautiful not- ideas of liberalism were were misguided. Well, it's not just me. I mean, you are a sort of a promiscuous thinker. Yes. And you absorb a lot of thought and you take, I don't know, you 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 inflict pain on yourself to understand things, <laughs> which is a quality I admire, masochism. Thank you. Well, you know, the stuff is not easily won. And when you started your podcast, um, and I mean, I do still listen to it, um, it's the original intention really was I got a job straight out of school and fucking fill the gaps in. I didn't have a tertiary education, right? That was kind of the yes. the, the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, works for you, continues to work for you. Didn't work for Chelsea Handler on Netflix. No. It's a shame because she's not, like, totally unfunny. She's all right, yeah. I mean, look, no, she can be funny. But, like, seriously, if you want a college education, don't get your best friend Gwyneth in, <laughs> you know, because Gwyneth knows <laughs> cock all. Yes. Gwyneth. What do you reckon about Gwyneth? I think she is actually Iago. I think she is the devil. What has she done now with Goop? Is she, they put some disclaimer or something now about all the bullshit claims that are on there or something? Oh, one would hope, but who cares, really? She's who already cares? poisoned. I mean, do you have a strong feeling either way about Gwynethism? Um, I, I have, a, yes, I, I find a lot of that uh, awful uh, um, money-grubbing bullshit to be objectionable, and I remember we talked about it on Tonightly once. There was, there was something about... Um, oh, Tonightly, what's that? No. It's a TV show. T- Tonightly yes. started off pretty shit, IMHO. <laughs> I was embarrassed for what had become my close friend, Tom. The number of times you've said that. I feel like it's unnecessary. No, I know. But I just like, I wasn't a participant in this crazy television experiment. Yes. And so I couldn't see the work. Yep. And I know you and I love your fucking stand up and I know what you can be and you weren't that. Mm. And so it was just like, oh, (laughs) give it two months. Fucking starts to be endurable. <laughs> Give it another. Yes. I'm actually like laughing once or twice. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I did. I mean, I don't know the evolution. Um, is this is just my view of mm. it. And then um when the talent had had the writing talent, the 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 comic talent, the understanding, I imagine I I don't know. I've never really worked. I've been on the telly, but I've never really worked to collectively create a product but um the uh uh the people doing the vision understood you understood your writers understood there was this collective understanding about what this thing you had collectively worked together to produce was and the false perception of the television program tonightly is that it only became good when it knew that it was cancelled this is false it is true that it was particularly funny on the day that the news hit because clearly no one gave a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We've all lost our jobs. And, I mean, there's nothing to replace that kind of feeling of fucking nothing to lose. Which is a good lesson for everyone. Um, You should do approach everything on day one as if you don't give a fuck. Yes, dance like nobody's watching. Like nobody's watching, Helen. And work like you're not being exploited. Um, That was very funny, but it did actually become fucking good before that, which is just what happens with any collaborative work. 
you know, even you can get the most experienced um, performers, artists, technicians together and they'll still need a time to familiarise themselves with each other, with forming a collective vision. No vision is really, I mean, I don't even believe in the idea of an auteur, right? It's like no one really can grab that. I mean, you know, a few have, but like to actually make somebody's vision uh, a material thing, like a film or whatever, mm. you can't do that if it involves many people. It's just not possible. Yes. Especially um, if those people are young, many of them comedians on their then, first ever yeah. TV gig and we didn't know what we yeah, wanted so, the show to so, be, working on the yeah. budgets that we were, the So it was a new we show with people fairly new to life. Yes. Um. So young and young. Yeah. And so, of course, it was going to take time. Mm. And if you want you know, your fucking ABC or whatever to actually be able to produce mildly amusing things in the future as it ought to, then where is the talent going to come from? Well, it, it was going to come from Tonightly. Mm. I mean, I think, I don't know, like I don't know any of your writers or whatever, but I'm imagining that a lot of them learned a, a fuck of a lot yeah. um, in the period because the show was scandalous and including the uh, cancellation, there was, you know, scandals beside that. Mm. And so they would have, you know, had this fiery baptismal experience mm. and been hardened and been able to get into that mode where they could create whatever the circumstances. Is that what happened? I, I think so, yeah. I think everyone went on a huge learning curve and tried to figure out um, what we wanted to do and we got rattled as different scandals came up and as people paid us some attention and particularly people on the conservative side of politics started to hate us. And then it just became quite fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it really became, it was sort of like a mini safe schools. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was the thing for the Australian to hate. A little culture war, yeah. It was um, great. Yeah, it was like this is, you know, what happens if we let young people talk and this is what happens if we permit, you know, a state broadcaster to exist. I mean, no, this is a fucking mistake. This never happens on the state broadcaster anymore. Mm. There's a bunch of little cunts who are funny <laughs> and clever. Like, um, you know, making a thing and clearly having a good time, at least some of the time, doing it. Particularly towards the end, I remember when, you know, we, we, had, we had, there was a song that made fun of um, the hypocrisy between Scott Morrison's uh, religion and um, his approach to refugee policy. And that ended up on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. And you had the Prime Minister of Australia weighing in and commenting yeah, on this it's stuff. Ridiculous. And it's ridiculous. I mean, like, these a are fuck. fucking idiots. It's on a fucking digital channel that nobody fucking watches. <laughs> like, I mean, give it a fucking break. It's not that influential. No, it's comedy, you fools. And it's like, it just, I mean, seriously. What's wrong with but you? I mean, you and I are both mates with with Ross Ward from Safe Schools, who wasn't the single architect of Safe Schools, by the way, but yes. the one that, you know, the 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 ultra reactionary press seized upon. Mm. And I mean, the other day, like, I don't think Ross has been involved with Safe Schools for like, I don't know, a fucking couple of years or whatever. Yeah. Fucking the education beat reporter, uh Rebecca. Go suck a bag of Nordic dick urban is um like still writing about her for no reason. Like it's just stupid. She has no influence on pedagogical theory, education, or anything like that. But it's like, let's just make sure that 
a program that was opt-in that I don't really know anything about never happens again. Yeah. And it's a sort of, you know, I mean, the fact that you were, I mean, it, look, I never honestly mind on the few occasions that I do end up in, in Jared or Andrew or Tim's column. It's just sort of like funny. Yeah. Did you feel the same? Um, it it was funny. Yeah, it was definitely funny. And it, we read a lot. We read it a lot um, on that show. And often there was plenty of material to work with there. After a while, it got slightly boring. And you can't believe that these people, their job is to pump out these bullshit opinions on a regular basis and get outraged by nothing. You feel sorry for them? Yeah. I do too. Like, it's like, I mean, and I'm, I genuinely mean that. I mean, I just shouldn't say rude things about Ms. Rebecca Urban. Um, and actually sucking Nordic dick is probably an enormous pleasure. So, That's great. Yeah, Tom of Finland. Do you know Tom of yeah. Finland? Yeah, of course. You, oh, thank goodness they're still handing the gay knowledge down. <laughs> and it's like I think about this poor woman who is required to offer the same analysis without analysis every day and hate the same people every day and just pursue another two-dimensional agenda on the behalf of very specific interests and you just think your life must suck. I mean, your working life, well, 85%, as you were telling me, (laughs) of people um, hate their jobs. I'm sorry. I do go on, as you know. So Tom Ballard, you know who he is probably if you're Australian. If not, make it your business to know this promising young comic. God, okay. Um, I'm getting more champagne. You're, you're working up, it's, it's a show with socialist champagne. You're working up a new show. I am. Also, um, which I believe is about macroeconomic understanding. <laughs> and what is, what is funnier than sort of talking about stock buybacks? Um, believe away. It's, it's not about anything yet, but it's vaguely in that, in that realm, yes. Yeah. So what I want to um, talk to you about for, you know, I mean, your own rumination it sounds like I've been doing an introduction to Tom for the last 78 years, and this is true, I have. <laughs> I've got intellectual development issues. Um, you hide them well. Thank you so much. What I think might be of value to you in talking to this, I mean, he's look, he's a good chap and he's not a thicko, and he does have a sense, whether he's working at the state broadcaster or not, of responsibility, and I like that. You know, it's like uh, he thinks what good in this is there for others. I mean, of course, he's a comedian, so he wants a fucking laugh. But he also wants a coin to drop. And there are many comedians actually who recognise that possibility. There is a coin that can drop through a gag that will not drop otherwise. I mean, just like a really nice little aphorism will help you understand a big concept, a, a, a joke can do the same. I do not agree with Hannah Gadsby that um, trauma creates tension because tension creates trauma because jokes or whatever. Like um, the joke, depending in the context that it is delivered, can be an accelerated form of learning. Not always. Sometimes it's just funny. I mean, and Tom does gut work. I've seen him. 
like you do do that thing where you lift up your top and make your stomach look as big as possible sometimes <laughs> and like just get like the cheap laugh. And I love the cheap laugh, but you do recognise the possibility of the joke uniting you with the audience and uniting the audience with a new understanding, don't you? Yeah. And you'll work up to that, which is I presume why you've been reading books about economics. <laughs> and so I really look forward to that show. But, okay, back to the reason that you might find a little look at Tom of uh, value to you directly is still, you know, in the scheme of things for a white person living in the conceptual global north or the west, um, young. Uh, not young for Swaziland, but young for this place. And, I mean, just young, tw- 28, right? Mm-hmm. Born in 1990, fuck me. 89. 89, okay, well, still, seems wrong. Oh, my God, we have to have a 30th birthday next year. Okay. Um. So, you know, I mean, whether you're young or not, when you make the time or you you are afforded the opportunity to think, you change, right? You, you, you can even see yourself changing daily if you have somehow made it your business to think or some, somehow made it your pastime to think and to think to the point. And, you know, I spoke about these things with Ray Gator, Professor Gator, for example. It's like, what are the foundations of my thought? This kind of question is not a simple one to answer and it's often very psychologically painful. It's like, so, okay, so I think this thing, you know, how, or, or, I mean, to even ask yourself, I mean, don't even bother asking yourself about the nature of existence. That's just a head fuck. But ask yourself about the nature of your ideas and how they were received. It's a really difficult thing to do, right? Mm. And to even get to the point where you can divide your ideas about justice, democracy, gender, whatever, you know, to even get to the point where you're questioning them and not accepting them as natural, it takes time, right? Yes, yes. And, and so when did you start? What? When did you start? I mean, being queer kind of forces you in a, in a way, doesn't it? I think so, definitely. I think there is, well, we know there are conservative uh, queer people. Um, oh, those fucking shitloads. The shitloads of them. There is something for me, anyway, personally, when, yeah, realising that I was uh, queer and different in that respect, yes, certainly compelled me to think a lot about identity and the way society is structured and our expectations and um, preconceived ideas yeah. about people and how things should work. And once you start pushing back at a few of them, you start pushing back at a whole bunch more. And it's, I mean, I'm not sort of su- suggesting um, for one minute that there are not a lot of you who might kind of like look at the dom- dominant culture and think that's just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're Aboriginal, if you're a migrant, if you've got brown skin or black skin um, or, you know, a skin that is not like appropriately white and tanned in this nation, then you will feel separate from the dominant culture. But the strange thing about being an apparently dominant culture, especially male, like a white male, and then being queer is like, you've, you know, you're faking it, right? Mm. And to understand at a, you know, reasonably young age that there is a difference between your appearance and your realities to, I think, probably prompt you to ask a few foundational questions. 
about the world and what you think of it. I wonder if it's also, you know, the dominant cultural or the prevailing ideas of like of, of capitalism, right, and, and the expectations of oh us. Oh, my God, you've come so far. I love this. <laughs> Oh my god! Can you hear the Stop Marxism? Stop masturbating, Helen. Please. Can you can you hear the Marxism in my gay son's voice? Stop rubbing one out to this. Oh. But it's like I always, you know, and maybe this is again bullshit, you know, uh, creative uh, creative actory little Tom too. But the, the I never thought. Oh, we're both total divas. Like yeah. just forget it. Like right. take that as red. The idea of working a job that I hated for like going for for for, for um, eight hours a day in a suit to a place that I had no connection with and couldn't. Yeah. You know, make something and be creative and enjoy things and be flexible. The idea of like working a job that I hated for, for the next um, 60 years for the set until I retired. What that, did your parents do? My mum is a teacher. Yeah. Was a teacher in the public, public school education system for, for forever. Uh, now teaches at TAFE. And my dad uh, trained as a teacher. TAFE. TAFE's great. Yeah. Uh, dad trained as a teacher and then worked into sort of human services stuff and now works for the local city council in Warnable. And disability access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So knowledge work parents. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, part of it is like, you know, if you understand that you have uh, an unacceptable identity or an identity that it may be in your interest to conceal, mm. or uh, well, not an identity, I mean, wanting to fuck someone is not an identity. It's an urge, mm. you know. Or, I mean, not to imply, of course, that to be queer is to want to fuck, although any more than any other human, but to feel, um, uh, you know, an attraction to, oh, to have a fucking non-conforming conforming sexuality or, or desire or whatever is like to feel a little different. Um, mm. uh, and uh, it does, yeah, I mean, as you say, and it's, I mean, it's interesting that you bring it up, um, you know, you won't be identified immediately as, effective for the life of capitalism because where's your family? Mm. And, um, you know, do you know the dreadful man, uh, uh, Neil Ferguson, who's married to Ayan Hirsi Ali? Oh, I don't know Neil Ferguson, no. But you know his bride. Yes. The feminist proof that Islam is bad. Fuck, she's awful. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine how Christopher Hitchens fucking, like, Jizzed when he thought that he could shape a lady mind, right? Hated. <laughs> you know, I mean, he said this thing. You may remember it, right? Um, it was a few years ago. So he's, uh, along with Hirsi now part of the Washington Consensus. They move in and out of those think tanks and, you know, they just sort of keep telling, as apparently tolerant people do all the time, that, oh, look, yeah, the Muslim world is dreadful and you're completely right to keep bombing it and, mm. you know, all this shit. And, hey, look, here's Ayan and Ayan, tell, tell us how West is best, blah, 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 and Ayan does. I'm not saying she's a puppet. I'm just saying she's a cunt. <laughs> and <laughs> because Muslim women of colour have that right to, yes. to be as ridiculous and as in servitude to the ruling class as anybody else. So so her husband is a sort of a like a fucking historical quasi-economic like brain. He's had some shows on like the BBC and shit. And so he said this thing about Keynes, right? So, you know, Keynesianism and blah. And so he said that the reason that Keynesianism failed is that Keynes was gay and he didn't understand the family unit. 
Oh, boy. Like, okay, anyone who's ever tried to read the first few pages of the general theory, like, they're so fucking boring, right? It's got nothing to do with who the man fucks. But this is what, I mean, he was forced to apologise because it was a ridiculous thing to say. Mm. But, I mean, and, and clearly intolerant. But as much as I dislike Ferguson and as homophobic as that was and for, you know, your social democrat liberal type like Keynes is a hero, let me just say capitalism will inevitably end in crisis and Keynes was a quick fix, was always going to be. I mean, homosexuality, like a lot of so-called disruptions, is a threat. Like, people instinctively know, like, if you're not going to reproduce, well, how will we reproduce the future? Mm. I mean, we love, we don't love, we've become so dependent on this background and this foundation of our lives, which is capitalism, that we can't imagine anything else. Mm. And we can't identify it necessarily, but we can identify threats to it. No, these these conservatives who love Capitalism and talk about the family. Has any has done, anything done more to destroy people spending more time with their family than fucking capitalism? Well, you, precisely. Having said that, capitalism shaped the family. Yes, as we know it now, and you know, and we all of a sudden, you know, we're in this position where we accept, you know, as natural, and you see kind of like evolutionary cunts um, say. <laughs> Oh, look at these footsteps preserved in fucking amber or whatever. I don't know science. Um, it's like a big feet with slightly littler feet followed by really baby feet. And it's like so it's like this whole thing about man, woman, children, monogamy forever. It's always been thus end of history view. We have finally, you know, realised the sophisticated perfection of our human nature. Like get fucked. You don't know any more than I do what human nature could produce. And this is the tragedy, and we've got to get there, of a mind like Richard Dawkins, right? So, okay, I'm going to say it. Like, The Greatest Show on Earth, really good book. Would you agree? I have not read it. <laughs> okay, so this is, um, this is like, you know how books about popular economics or popular science that really explain a complex great theory to you, to your satisfaction, are good. Yes. Such as Total Propaganda by Helen Reyes. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> buy it probably not at your local bookshop because my publishers hate me and have probably discontinued it. No, I, I did an intro to Marx. But so um, there are those books that you encounter that, exp- you know, you want to know something about a theory mm. um, or a hypothesis and you, you read that book and it's like, yeah, thank you. Um, so. For Dawkins, like the book that explains um, evolution, like the theory of yep. evolution, is quite something. It's the only Dawkins book I've I've read right through. So you know he's passionate about Darwin, but then when he starts talking about human society, he turns into a turd. And like, do you remember that adorable little kid in the NASA shirt that did? He made some kind of clock for his science fair and then the vile teacher said it was a bomb because he was brown and Muslim and he ended up like, you know, photo ops with Obama and then, you know, Richard used it as an opportunity for his bullshit new atheism. Yeah. And it was like, you are an old cunt. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, it's this it's this really strange thing. I mean, you read about evolution and you understand through his eyes what Darwin meant. Mm. And you understand also a little bit more about recent evolutionary theory. And so it's about mutation, luck, interdependence, mutation. It is not this, you know, Edenic idea. It is not the Garden of Eden. It's not perfect balance. It's adaptability, mutation. It is not survival of the fittest. What it is is some shit that happened and that often gets depending on the life form, more complex, the longer it lives. And so how can he have that understanding to the degree that he can explain it to me, who is shit with science, to my satisfaction? That's pretty much, I'm kind of like fine with evolution now after reading that book. Mm. And yeah, he can't conceive of society in the same way as like this massive organism that keeps changing you know, that this environment with which we are in, interdependent, like as far as he's concerned, it's just human nature, human nature. It's like look at the book you wrote, mate. Mm. Anyway, off the track, let's get back to, all right, new atheism because your life, and there's a huge amount of you, like there's a lot of people just your age and around it, there's a fuckload of you. Did you know that? Ex-new atheist people? no. People of your age. Oh, people of my age. All oh, right. And so there are a lot of you um, who are ready, queer or not queer, to think about what is my framework to explain reality? Mm. What is the way that I live? What are my ethics? Are ethics even important? What drives the world? What are the powers? All of that shit, right? You know, fucking epistemology, ontology. Um, political science or political economy, whatever. And so you get to that age and everybody does where you're capable of absorbing those things and you're independent enough now and sort of certain enough now that you can separate yourself from what you believe. Everybody, I'm sure, has this experience unless they're starving or beaten or abused. And so you're huge generation in the West came to what year did the new atheism come to your attention? Um, I reckon I'm uh, probably going to get my dates wrong around a little bit, but I reckon must have been 2006, 2007, right. end yeah. of high school for me. And you were what age then? So 17, 18. 18. Yeah. Okay. So that's the 15, age. 15, 17. Yeah, yes. That's the age. Yes. Yeah. I'm reading, yeah, reading a lot. Um, maybe even via R uh, Ricky Gervais potentially oh, could yeah. have ended up into oh, some sweet what's happened atheism. To Ricky? If you watch a lot of comedy, you know, there's, there's plenty of atheist comedians out there who um, squeezed a whole lot of material out of hanging shit on the Bible and such. Um, I read The God Delusion. I read Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great. I watched a lot of Sam Harris videos on YouTube. Mm. And I found it very intellectually stimulating. I did philosophy in year 12 as well. And I've always been, yes, interested in all that stuff. And I've never been religious. I didn't grow up in a religious household or what have you. But, um, I mean, certainly I think being queer, coming out as gay, you know, you do think a lot more about certainly the church's relationship. and, and Oh, and you think about the centuries father. Centuries-long persecution. Right? God yeah. the father and the model yeah. of behaviour. Yes. You know, uh, isn't it ridiculous how some people have this foundational thought about how we should behave and, yes. you know, to believe in a 
um, you know, what was big at the time, the spaghetti monster. Yes, yes. Um, to believe in the flying spaghetti monster <laughs> is to be homophobic and this is very much, um, you know, still a present thought with many people. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm sort of trying to think of some prominent Australian public people. Jane Carrow is very much into all of this stuff. Um, the Reason Party, formerly the Sex Party, are very much into all of this stuff. And the idea is that humanism and science, humanism, what do they even mean by humanism? You know, um, humanism or and science will challenge the so-called God delusion. What is not understood in that analysis for me is that religion doesn't really hold the true power that it once did. We are not a feudal society. Our new religion is capitalism. We just take it as read. This, this is how we should behave as we did, you know, in the feudal era, um, which we were dragged out of, you know, at the end of a gun. Um, so much blood was shed for capitalism. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, so it, it, it elevates the nature of one's belief, right? Um, it says like you have the faith in your creation myth, you know, your, on, your personal ontology is the thing that guides you most. But the thing that guides most of us, 85% of people hate their jobs and why shouldn't they? We really know it's 100%. Because, I mean, fuck, what the fuck is it with jobs, right? Like, I mean, I've had a few real jobs in my life and it's like, so you go to work for $17 an hour or whatever and you give these people your time and for the theft of your time you are given the means to survive. Who wouldn't fucking hate that? <laughs> it's slavery, right? And it's like, okay, so I'm not exploited like a woman textile worker in Bangladesh and I didn't have my ancestral land stolen and Bloody blah, blah. I'm still a fucking slave. Fuck you. Mm. And so are you all. And 100% of you should hate your jobs. And if you don't truly hate your job, then you're very lucky. But do double check that you don't hate your job. And <laughs> you should be angry, right? You should be fucking angry. And anger is useful. But so these, these people, these atheists, that they can't see how people are coerced in so many other ways other than by religion. And if we just take out the faith, then the true promise of the enlightenment, which is methodical doubt and science, will take the place of everything else. It's just like reason doesn't work like that, does it? Um, it, it doesn't, no. I mean, this this was, I mean, I, I still agree. There's still a whole lot of things said by those people and things that I learnt and thought about during that during that time when I was yes. trying to engage with those ideas that I agree with, but it is the how effective any of that is and whether it's actually focused on the main game in terms of making things better or, you know, actually bringing people around to, to achieve solidarity and try to change anything of substance rather than just saying you're an idiot if you believe in that guy in the sky with a beard. That was the stuff that I sort of fell yeah. out of love with. And also, I mean, you know, Hitchens, he's written some good books. Uh, say the one about Mother Teresa in particular, that extended essay. I'm mm. sure you read that. It's very good. Yes. Um, you know, no one left to lie to. The Clintons, also very good. Mm. And I had the, did you ever meet Hitchens? No. I did. I oh, interviewed wow. him. And 
I mean, I have to say that my instinct was to really like him and, you know, he was, um, you know, it was a, it was a good conversation mm. despite the fact that I despised his Islamophobia, I despised his… Um, warmongering. Uh, yeah, absolute warmongering. Um, moreover, I suspected him of doing the worst thing, which is to be racist and imperialist for profit and to know better. And surely he should know better. And he always had Tariq Ali, his old comrade, to remind him that he was a prick. Mm. And I think he knew he was a prick and I think that that's kind of worse, right? <laughs> it's like it's like kind of like you probably with me say like you actually are emotionally disturbed a little more by the Labor Party than the Liberal Party mm. because they should know better. Yeah. Having said that, you know, he was all kind of like charming and everything. And like fucking we both had the same terrible choice of favourite poet, which is Auden, homosexual. And um, <laughs> so, but it's just, I don't know, there's just this sort of, there were, so Hitchens and his Oxbridge education and his time with the Trotskyists, his friendship with remarkable people like Tariq Ali, all of this privilege and luck and he just wastes it on this thing and he knows better. And he knows better than, I mean, they all knew better, surely, or at least Hitchens did, than to deluders. Um, the thing that he did was he would often get, like, the stupidest people possible to interview. Yeah. Mr. Oxbridge, right? A guy that had read The Great Theorists and he gets some, like, dumb Christian woman usually, mm. on, and do his, what did they used to call it, the hitch slap? Yes. Yes. There's a lot of compilations of those on YouTube. Yeah. A and argue with Tariq, you know, argue with your old friends from the left. Argue with people who understand what you're saying, understand your cynicism and, and, and can undo it. So it was like this really, it became this very middle-brow kind of like performance of intelligence rather than actual thought? Did you, what year did you find? And again, for you, like the reason I'm asking Tom this stuff is like I'm so aware that there are so many people and there are people of my acquaintance and people from like, you know, not just white people, right, like um, people with different cultural backgrounds who are really kind of super turned on by this humanism slash atheism stuff. Like I fucking, you know who I've given up on? Tim Minchin. He can't let it go. Um. <laughs> I've tried, right? I've tried. I've tried telling him liberalism is a new religion and that he loves it, but he won't listen. And, you know, a lot of you might have, you know, come up with this stuff. And I know so many fucking awesome people, you know, between 30 and 40 who, like, did encounter this shit and, like, really got into it. But they moved on. You know, they used that seed. A lot of them now read Jordan Peterson. Yes. Which is... There's a great piece in Current Affairs called The Intellectual We Deserve. I yes. mean, he's appalling. Yeah. Like there's just nothing there. He's restating through quasi-scientific interdisciplinary tidbits, you know, basically doing everything that he hates about postmodernism, like just this fucking omnivorous, undisciplined, interdisciplinary feast and, you know, giving it to you and saying, well, it's better when I do it because I'm not fucking Foucault or whatever. I mean, get fucked, you empty cunt, right? <laughs> you fucking cunt, devoid 
of any pleasure or knowledge. He just or, eats beef now. He's on an all beef diet. Oh yeah, well good. I mean, <laughs> may, may he, he get? He hates it. He's forcing himself to only eat beef. What is that? I read about that. What it, it's like? <laughs> is it some kind of like global? Uh, it's uh, an immune uh, system thing. He's trying to get going. Yeah. <laughs> And he just hates it. Well, that is, I mean, that's great because, I mean, people did eat too much protein get sick. Yeah. You know, they call it rabbit starvation or whatever. Good science. Yeah, so that his approach to science is, uh, is as his approach to human science, which is just nonsense. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of like same, same old hitch. And um, anyway, so like lots of you may have or, few of you may have come through that and, you know, being given this kind of seed or this hint that there is this knowledge that you can access or there is this clear thinking, as my friend Ray called it a few weeks ago, um, there's this capacity in, in you for like trying to look at the world or if you're old-fashioned personal ethics or your existence or whatever and thinking it through, you can do it. Anyone can do it, and it comes naturally to children. But it's actually quite a, a, a bit harder when you're an adult. But new atheism was this. I have a lot of bad shit to say about that. Those that fucking racist, falsely conscious bunch of fucking cunts who did nothing but uphold U.S. imperialism, really, and cheapen the very deep experiences that some people do have with faith as well. Like the people of faith in my life, and I'm sure it's the same for you, um, faith is a very active process for them. You know, I mean like questioning the nature of the deity, wondering what the deity truly is, whether you read your holy texts um, with, you know, what degree of literalism. Yes. You, you know, it's like. And it's been the case for a long time. Like, um, so you were raised without religion. I was ra ra raised without religion. Yes, not no, yes, no, no, no religious um, influence at all. Um, I went to a you know, government school, a primary school, and uh, high school. So no religious instruction except for RE at primary school, where a priest came yeah. in and sang songs like "God is good" all the time, which I still have a bugbear about. But I, I, I you know, I, I just realized after a long period of time, after meeting quite a few people of faith, particularly yeah. in like the refugee advocacy space. And I realized, oh, Jesus is their moral philosophy. And I don't have to believe that Jesus existed. I mean, I mean this is huge, hugely offensive things in the New Testament. I mean, people are always like, oh, Jesus was a socialist. Yeah, he wasn't. Have you read Matthew? Like, the poor will always be poor with us. will always be with us, yes. Like, a, you know, a socialist doesn't say that. It was like, you know, a socialist says, you know, that uh, the poor are the creation of wealth accumulation. You know, that's not very socialist, Jesus. Jesus was the first feminist. Well, fucking thank you, Jesus, because you brought us Clementine Ford <laughs> um, or whatever, you know. Dress your handsome male toddler in gender-neutral clothes and the right. world will change. But, um, but regardless, you, regardless. Can, you know, people can look at the life of Jesus and they can end up as Corey Bernardi or they can end up as Jared McKenna, uh, you know, who are yeah, two, but I mean, two very different people. Yeah, but I mean sort of like people. the idea of a foundational being and to experience real grace and to really interrogate that. Like, okay, so I don't have that feeling. And for me, if I think about the foundation of reality, it's like I feel an abyss. You know, I read Sartre at a young age right? by accident. Don't let your kids read Sartre. Um, but you find the natural world to be amazing, right? Like well, I, I, I was filled with wonder and 
joy and fascination, could not believe the fact that I'm alive, could not believe yeah. that, that I, I'm here on this natural world and that animals exist and the oceans exist and space exists. That's all mind-blowing I and think, I have a huge yeah. reverence for that. And for me, I, I can't explain that through the existence of, a, of an all-powerful being. For other people, they can. Yeah. I think that comes from the same place, though. Uh, well, yes, it does because if you think about, you know, sort of like nature is this sort of like extraordinary thing that occurred, I mean, it's not too many steps from believing in a supreme deity. For me, and, you know, it happens differently for everyone, but I can't see very well. I have very poor vision. I am the colour of Julian Assange. Mm. Outside was not a great thing for me and I could not observe nature unless I was sort of like in it. And so... Uh, as a result, perhaps, I don't think visually, um, I don't appreciate vision a great deal. I couldn't even make telly like you do. And so for me it was more like what really got me thinking, and again I'm not overly happy about this being like you can't say, oh, well, you know, I used to be a new atheist. I mean I know because I know you like you've joked about, oh, my God, I can't believe how much I loved Sam Harris when I was a kid. <laughs> well, I can't believe how much I loved the existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre and Nisha, when I was a kid, which is what I happened to stumble on at about 16 because there was this posh girl at my school, right, who knew a lot of shit. And so for me, rather than the natural world, it was human history and human will mm. and the, I don't know, for want of a better word, the exchange of will or of energy between people that made me think, wow, yeah, so you know, it depends. It was mm. like it was not the 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 natural world never uh, appeared to me for various reasons as like sort of supreme proof that something extraordinary was happening. My ability to speak and to write actually continues to amaze slash shit me because obviously, as you know, I talk too much. I've talked way more than you, and I'm actually really interested in what you have to say. But I've got problems. So whatever it is, like. It is quite difficult if you are well-fed enough and well-sheltered enough not to be amazed Mm. and not to be amazed by things that, you know, you don't necessarily have to uh, attribute to a supreme deity. No. Or several or whatever your creation myth is, you know, the goddess Pele residing in the volcano, Santa Claus, Whoever it is, you but know. I, I think it's amazing and and to be revered, regardless of there is an explanation or, you know, this 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 seemed to be the line of religion a lot of the time. There needs what what is the plan here, or you know, there must there there is some something at work here, some higher intelligence at work making all these things for us, which I never believed, never never bought yeah. into. But regardless, I can appreciate the fact that I'm alive and I can try yeah, my best to sure. love my fellow human beings. The problem. Uh, with a lot of new atheism was um, a very salient problem in my view because I'd killed God years before. Mm. Like I'd killed the possibility of it and then almost even come back to the idea of entertaining faith. Like not that I, there's not a trace of God in my life, but I appreciate how it works. So, you know, being a lot older than you and shit, you know, just different times in our lives. But, okay, so it's a really boring thing to say that, oh, the new atheists, they're just like religion and then you get chocolate, teapot, stamp collector, blah, 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 whatever the argument is. I mean, you're familiar with all of those. Mm. Well, to be an atheist is to believe in nothing. 
But the fact is for those very prominent um, atheists who were struggling to find a way to explain the 21st century, to explain 9-11, to explain the inevitable backlash to US imperialism, what they arrived at, and there was precursors to this, like I believe it's the 25th year of, um, so you know this guy Sam Huntington, have you heard of him? So it's like uh, it's a book called The Clash of Civilizations. So, you know, for years and years and years after World War II, the US was just like openly, well, we need to be the world power. We'll let for some time the Soviet Union have some, we'll go to Yalta, we'll agree to carve the world up. And so for a while they were very open about pure power. But it kind of started to fail for them in around about 1970. And by the 90s, it was in a state. And so this guy wrote this book, which became um, Bush Jr.'s favourite, talking about how basically there was going to be an inevitable clash between the West and uh, Islamic nations because, okay, so this is diminishing the scholarship of the dick, but it's like it amounts to basically Muslims are just no damn good. Mm. And all Sam Harris's arguments amount to Muslims are no damn good. And then he uses that fucking famous example of the Jains. See, some religions are fundamentally violent and some aren't. And, hey, look at the Jains. So ritual suicide, I believe, is pretty much compulsory for a Jain. I, I reckon that's pretty violent. But, you know, like fucking brush away the ants, but then you've got to top yourself. You know, it's like, whatever, dude, you fucker. And it's like you haven't thought this through because you're a fucking neuroscientist. Oh, fuck me, neuroscience, the fucking phrenology of the 21st century. But uh, that aside, what was I talking about? I was talking about that whole thing of like it's a really sort of cheap argument to say that they're, that, they're religious, but they are in mm. that they look to kind of like the Enlightenment 101 to the philosophy that they don't really understand because they're primarily scientists or primarily racist imperialists. And then they say reason beats religion. I say, well, we're ever a competition. But do you not also believe that there is, um, there are beliefs out there, there are people out there who are operating doing bad things based purely on their religious beliefs? No. Gosh, no. no. Gosh, no. No. You don't think there are people that, for, for, but for their religion, wouldn't be homophobic? That the only reason that they act the way they do towards, say, queer people is because of the messages they've been oh, given right. by I mean, religion. well, sort of like there's some kind of like ideological imperative, I guess, for them. But no, I mean, it's a very complex matter. Mm. There are I think we have to go, actually, by the way. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> um, we so, can't get into this. We can't solve God and the gays. No, 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 no. We actually do. We have to go to a bookshop. Yes. Tom Ballard has been your guest here on Knackers in the Vag. I mean, I've spoken too much. I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, I don't want you to think, like, that I don't respect you. I just have this fucking motor mouth, right? And I can't. I'm aware, Helen. Like, I'm I've seeing, listened to the show. But I'm, like, <laughs> I'm seeing people about it, right? No, you're and I'm more even, interesting than me. me like, no, this is not true. I mean, I actually find, because, I mean, you know, we're not, like, besties or whatever. We kind of, like, catch up meaningfully about once every three months. And every time I catch up with you, you've changed. Mm. And so, no, I mean, I'm not more interesting than you. Like, and you're prepared to think differently. And so, okay, so I'm going to write myself down a list of rules. Will you come back in a few, maybe, and continue 
Well, we can continue this conversation about isn't religion the thing that produces, you know, terrible ideas, you know, per se, mm. and but also more about your kind of like reading list, what you're watching, what you are listening to. Can we do it again? Or? Sure. I'd love to. All right. So we're going to a bookshop, but not to read. And uh, uh, Tom Ballard and his new show, his new comedy show, well, I guess it will be debuting at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2019. Starting in Perth in January. Oh, fantastic. going to Brisbane. Name yet? Enough. Enough? Enough. 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 And my, my little Marxist, almost Marxist gay son... Um, so yeah, uh, there will be a part two of the evolution of <laughs> Tom Quincy Ballard's, um, missteps as a thinker start with Sam Harris, yes. um, and then apparently become an, uh, a person who publicly endorses the actually Marxist revolutionary Vic Socialists. What happens in 10 years to make a... Little fuckers see the light. Well, it wasn't just his friend Helen texting him saying, you can't say that about Russia while he was doing Tonightly. So much more. I don't know the story. You don't know the story. Her email address, as ever, helen at badhostess.com. That was Knackers. That was Tom. I was Helen. And if somebody doesn't wind me the fuck up soon, I will just keep talking and talking and talking. Goodbye, Helen. Shut up. Triple Shut up. <laughs>